This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. It's our first Sunday after Christmas. And one thing, you know, sometimes people, you know, at Christmas time, they have favorite movies and things. And we're not going to talk about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or something. Okay. But <laughs> it is, of course. But anyway. any uh, <laughs> But if you think of something that has sort of heartwarming in the lo- thing is, Near here, just an hour away from here in Woodstock, Illinois, in 1993, they, they did a film that was amazingly popular with Bill Murray called Groundhog Day. And a man who keeps living the same day over and over. And we have a name for that experience when you think, I've been here before. We all had that. You know, we, we're in a certain place, we hear something, I've been here before. We call it déjà vu, right? Literally, French for, you know, already seen that. Déjà vu, already seen that. Okay. Now, if you're a college professor, you have this experience every time you come to the end of a semester as you're reading term papers. And you say, I've seen that paragraph. (laughs) I've seen that sentence. I think there's another term for that, too. But in any event, it's also deja vu. (laughs) Okay. And some of us, when you're, you know, when you have a boss who can't be bothered with your annual review, you finally come there, and it seems strangely like every other annual review, except the date's different. So we all know the idea of, haven't I lived through this before? Well, a number of you were probably here. I know where you were here yesterday to celebrate Christmas with us. And if you were, you'd say, wait a second. The deacon just read the same gospel. That is the gospel we read yesterday. Oh, please tell me he's not going to preach the same sermon. No, no, it's okay. (laughs) Cleansing breaths. Okay, it's okay. Now, so why, you might ask yourself, will we not... Why are what's going on? Well, the prologue to the Gospel of John and Christmas traditionally we have three separate services, and the idea is the main service is the service in the day, and that's where they save what's considered the most. If you had to have one thing, here's the one thing you want you to have, and that's the Gospel of John, because the church calls John the theologian, and that means there are only two men in the ancient church who had that title. He explains what it all means, not just what happened, but what does it all mean. And so the church says, to understand what really happened at Bethlehem, you have to read the beginning of the Gospel of John. So you ask yourself, well, wait a second. Okay, if you have to read the Gospel of of John to really understand everything that's going on here, okay, why do we read it again the following Sunday, in this case, the very next day? Because the church didn't want to take the chance that we went to one of the other two services. It was so important that no one could make it through the Christmas season without hearing that gospel. However, we have a very different take on that gospel if we look at our epistles. The readings tell us we're going to focus on something special each time. Now, yesterday we focused, our epistle was from Hebrews. And we were focusing on the fact fact that the word in John, that the word became flesh. He said, look, Uh, In Hebrews, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his own son. You know, the the theme yesterday was that God really took on our humanity. He connects with us the way he never connected before. So what's the theme today? The theme today is from Galatians. Okay, and there, so that, that theme yesterday was what happened on Christmas Now we're talking about the question, how does that affect us? It's the how question. And the prologue to John's Gospel says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. So yesterday, on Christmas, our focus was the eternally begotten Son of the Father became and remains a human being, truly God and truly man. And now we're saying, how does that change everything for me? How does that change our life with God? Now, let's look at the passage, a portion of the passage we read today from Galatians. It says, When the fullness of time had got, come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Here's the key point. So that we might receive adoptions as sons. The purpose of this, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It goes on. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So the first thing, why are we told did He send His Son? He said, from our point of view, it transforms our whole purpose. We are no longer servants, we're no longer slaves, we've become sons. And in the ancient world, it means more than that. Not everyone who's your child is your son this way. Remember, we have Ishmael and Isaac. Some children, if you have the right mother and things, become sons, which means they are co-owners of the business. That's what it means to be an heir. They are co-owners of the business, the family business. Okay. And so it's told us that the short God's goal in sending Jesus Christ is to make us heirs of God. Now, again, I want to emphasize when we hear the word heirs in our society, we think heirs, you get their stuff when people die. So the last person in the world you want to be an heir of is God. God never dies. Imagine poor Prince Charles waiting over 50 years for mom to move on. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, it's just not happening. And so you're... you're she will bury us all. Okay, but in any event, <laughs> but, but the point would be why, so it means something different. We should ask ourselves, we don't understand the passage right away. It must mean something. Well, in the ancient world, you understand you didn't get to choose who had your stuff. You couldn't decide, I hate my kids, I'll give it to, you know, to the Humane Society. You couldn't do that. Your stuff belonged to the family in proportions. That's why in the parable of the prodigal son, People sometimes wonder, well, why did he give the kid the money? Because it was his. He just wanted a buyout. He said, I have a share of the family business. I'd rather take the cash. So what it means to be an heir is we are actually co-owners of the family business. Remember what the, old, the older son comes up and he says to the father in the parable of the prodigal son, all these years I've worked for you, nothing. And the father said, you know, basically time out. That's not in the Greek. Okay, time out. Everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? This is our business. Everything I have belongs to you. What do you mean, everything you've done, you've done for me? So he's pointing out here, okay, so Jesus himself, and he says we're not only, in Romans we're told, we're not only heirs of God, we're fellow heirs with Christ. What does it mean to be a fellow heir with Christ? Well, why don't we see what it means for Christ to be an heir? It says, okay, that Jesus in says he's, his image is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. It says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. 
It says in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. You say, well, that's, that's fine for the Lord Jesus. What about us if we're brothers of Jesus, we're fellow heirs? It says of us, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Paul says to Timothy, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. And in Revelation, we're told of all the saints, it says they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp of the sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So this is incredible. It's saying our nature with God has changed profoundly. God has invited us into the family, the title, Welcome to the Family. You know, that we are called to be brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at the ancient world. There were three sort of ways you could be a worker in the ancient world. Let's look at them because all three exist for us as Christians too. The first is you could be a slave or a servant. Slave, I mean, you're, you're owned outright. A servant could be like a bondage uh, servant. You know, you, 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 you sold 20 years of labor type of thing. You're a bond servant. You sold so many years of labor. But the point is you worked out of compulsion. The reason is you worked as you had to. <coughs> and there was no reason to tell you anything. You simply worked there. Your job was to do whatever they told you. It was really simple. What the, the hierarchy could not have been simpler if you were a slave in the ancient world. They, they order you obey. Okay? And so in that case, matter of fact, Jesus explains that. He says to the apostles, the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. He says, that's why I don't call you servants. The servant doesn't even know what the master is doing. He just takes direction and follows them blindly. That's his job. Now, what's the operative principle about being a slave? Stay out of trouble. Keep your head low. Don't invite problems. And what's the operative attitude? Fear of punishment. What's the least work I can do and not be punished? So the idea is minimalism, right? It's a matter of, look, stay out of trouble do as little as possible. The next thing is a hireling. Basically, people like all of us who have jobs and go out there and get money in return for their labor. They work for wages, and the idea here is it's transactional. I give you something, you give me something. I give you my work, you give me some sort of reward. You know, money and things, you give me some sort of reward. So it's a transactional relationship. And the trouble is that we're not concerned with the ultimate outcome. If I'm an hourly worker, and I worked my way through college, <laughs> I, got to, I mean, alone, I paid, paid everything. And I've got to tell you, I did every kind of job. I was a painter, I worked at fast food, I just did everything. Um, but, you know, I've got to tell you, when you work on a clock, your idea is, I'm going to do a good job. But when the clock's out, it's over. I, it's the boss's concern about whether enough is done and clients needs. That's not my concern. My concern is to do my job. He has a problem. <coughs> So it's completely transactional. That's why Jesus talks about a hireling. That's what they meant for someone who took wages. He talks about shepherds. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who do not, doesn't actually own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He's just doing his job. He's certainly not going to get wounded from sheep. Okay. The operative principle is I'm going to do my job, but that's it, period. When I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock. 
And the other thing is basically it's transactional. You owe me. You know, when you pay me my wage, I say, oh, gee, thank you. I earn those. Okay, the third possibility is being in the family business. That's what it means to be an heir. What does it mean to be in the family business? Well, the big, big thing, it's like owning stock, is when you're in a family business or something, if the business grows, you grow. It's not just your wages. You know, if the, as the business succeeds, your, the business's success is your success. The two are tied together. You know, you you know, I told you I worked for years in a restaurant, one of the th many things I did to get through college. And this, uh, Dale and Mary and Clark, of blessed memory, wonderful people. But, you know, we all worked hard. But I've got to tell you, these people were the first people there and the last people out. And they had to get it because it was their restaurant. They had a sense of ownership. If it succeeds, they succeed. So the whole idea of being in the business, being owners and things, is it's our business. If this works, all right, this is us. So it's a, the idea, the operative principle is, is if the business succeeds, I succeed. My success is tied to the business. And second, the attitude is affection. I'm working for my, I'm working for my own family and personal investment. This is mine. And it's very entrepreneurial. Let's do it. Let's take risks because I share in the rewards. So those are the three human ways to, to work. Now, as Christians, we sometimes come to God in all three of those situations, depending who we are. And sometimes this is why our Christian life isn't everything it could be and ought to be. Sometimes we're still, we're still in the slave-servant category. Basically, you know, we're not really that concerned about heaven, can't get excited about heaven, but we don't want to go to hell. Okay, and the f basic thing is saying, look, I just want to, uh, I don't want to get in trouble. I want to avoid punishment. The, op the operative principle becomes, what's the absolute minimum? <laughs> you know, what are the lines? What's the minimum I have to do not to offend God? Where are the lines where I, I don't, like these, we agonize over, how would you define tithe? You know, we, we agonize over the smallest, uh, smallest details. The idea being less is better. And the operative attitude, frankly, is faith is just one more burden in life. It has all the excitement of paying taxes. It's something you know that's good. You know we, we're good citizens, we know that, but you can't get very excited over it. Less is better, you want to be faithful, you want to pay your full amount, but that's it, and you want out of here. So sometimes, sadly, people's faith is something like that. It's very much, well, I believe in things, and I just, but I really have a life. So what do I do? I want this to be in my life, but how can I minimize this? How can I keep it to the strict minimum? That's one attitude we can have to faith. Another is very transactional, like a hireling. It's based on self-interest. Some people look at faith like basically regular life is Amazon and faith is Amazon Prime. Is what happens is you, uh, you know, you, you can get your stuff delivered free of charge the next day. There are a few special things that will happen to you because you join Prime. So they look upon, basically, I have the same Amazon everybody else has, but I have some perks. Okay, I have some perks. So in this case, uh, we don't look so much care for God because of God. We care for because we think we can get something from Him. You know, we look at conduct as one bonus. I have my life, and with God, it's like having a form of insurance. It's like having AAA. If something goes wrong and my car dies, you know, somebody's going to help and restart the car. You know, God is there. If something goes wrong, I can just call on Him, and that's sort of the deal. So we have this idea, sort of pretty much transactional relationship to God. And the operative principle is, how is God going to make my life better? And if I start feeling that God's not coming through, 
if I start saying, gee, they say it's going to be next day and it's coming three days later, I might drop Amazon Prime. And you might say, if God, you know, if I start getting sick or my mom dies in spite of my prayers, we start feeling God's letting me down. I mean, I'm paying my premiums. I'm showing up at church. You know, I'm doing all this stuff. If God can't come through, we have to reconsider. There must be competition out here. Okay, that's the hireling attitude. What's in it for me? Then we have what God has really invited us to, a relationship of love, not fear. You know, it says perfect love casts out fear, John tells us in 1 John. And that's why we're told today that God has put His Spirit in our heart that says, Father, not boss, not king. You know, well, He certainly is a king, but saying that we have a real relationship. God really cares about me. He sees us as being… One of the reasons fathers cared in the ancient world about their children is this is how their business kept on. It wasn't just affection. So God has a real interest for, in me. You know, He really wants this to work. You know, we have a spirit saying, Father, this is someone who really cares. Then, and we love what God loves because we love God. I love Jesus. Instead of looking upon the faith as a burden, we look upon it as a joy. Jesus once, he was, uh, he had missed lunch, as the apostles thought it, and they, he said, well, I, I had, he said, where, where do you get food? And he says, I have food you don't know of. This is when he speaks, you know, he said, look, after the Samaritan woman, he said, my food is to do my Father's will. He said, for me, this is not a burden. Does anybody say, oh, this is terrible. I'm working all day, and they make me stop to eat lunch. No one says it's bad to stop and eat lunch. We say, well, I love that. And he says, that's how Jesus looked at the Father's will. It's what keeps me going. It's not something that drains me. It's something that keeps me going. You know, I, because we're on the same page. You know, the Father's will is what keeps me going and energize. It's like food. It energizes me, the Father's will. So the operative principle is your kingdom come. God's work is my work. We're in the same business. This is the family business. And the second thing is the operative attitude is if you want it, I want it too because you want it. Jesus says that, you know, that, you know, he constantly says in John's gospel, my will is to do the Father's will. That's, we have one agenda. It's a beautiful thing. You know, St. Teresa of Avila, one of my favorite saints, actually my favorite saint, you know, she says she went through 19 years. Now, she was a nun, and you'd think, and she said, you know, my life, my spiritual life wasn't what it should be until she realized that when you try to work two agendas, no matter how innocent you make it, you don't have the joy of the freedom of the gospel. As long as I'm trying to work in God's agenda with my own, I'm trying to live the life everybody else lives, but just do a little extra for God. You know, we'll pencil him on, on or I had to date myself, we'll put him in, the, um, in, our, in our iPhones, you know, that we'll save Sunday morning for him and a few things like this. When I really look upon this, the freedom of saying, my agenda is God's agenda. We're in this together, everything changes. It's, that's where freedom comes from. She said then she knew a joy. You know, we have to say, uh, you know, like you get upset. I'll tell you a silly thing with me or something. I'd have to go to meetings and things in business. And there used to be a time I'd really get nervous about being, being late. And I'm really, really uh, very compulsive about that. And I suddenly realized, wait a second, I'm on God's agenda. If God wants me in a traffic jam, all right. To really accept you're sovereign, seriously, then I'm going to take you wherever you are and say, you're in charge. So what do we do? <laughs> You know, that kind of, it changes everything. You're never frustrated in the sense that I can't get my will. My will is God's will. It's always done. So, the 
in the in Christ's incarnation, as God has called us, saying, I want to make you partners in the business. I want to make you heirs, he said. Children, not, and not just since we all have our life from God, I want to make you heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians, we're called God's fellow workers. And we're brothers of sister of Jesus at the wedding feast. You know, so we have to ask, is that the life I'm living now? Is, is that how I look upon it? Is every day, you know, I'm, I, Father and I are in the same business. You know, we have the same agenda. Well, if not, there's good news. We are everyone here who's been baptized as a trust fund baby. Every one of us has the inheritance. Every one of us at any time can come and take it. God welcomes us to come and show up at work, you know, to be part of the business. So here's something beautiful. You'll notice on the sermon page, I had this line put in. It's from Romans. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Now listen up. In order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. I love that line. He says, you don't get it. This isn't all about Jesus. The Father's delight was to have a big family. He wanted, I don't want Jesus to be alone. I want him to be the first of many, many brothers. You know, I, you know, I want to, in the, we're all invited into that. That's the Father's joy, to be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Now, there's a parable I really like in Matthew's Gospel. A vineyard owner goes out and asks this, each of his two sons, he says, hey, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Okay, go and work in the vineyard today. And this is a beautiful thing. Every single Christian receives this invitation every single day. When we get up, basically God says to each one of us, you're my son, you're my daughter. Hey, will you help me out today? Could you work in the vineyard with me today? That means there's a specific place where I sent you in your specific circumstance. Today, not tomorrow, not next week, just today. Where I sent you, can you be my man, my woman in that place? Can you represent us, be us in that place? That's the invitation God gives us every single day. And that's the invitation we, could, uh, we, should, we should accept. Now, I tell you something that means a lot to me. I'll tell you a personal thing is the saints always tell us in, in the religious, uh, you know, with the religious orders and things, you know, the, from monastics and things, the first words out of your mouth in the morning ought to be a reference to God. So to me personally, I always make the sign of the cross, you know, say, Jesus, my Lord and my God. But the next word that comes out for me is yes. That's literally my next, that's my prayer for the day. Yes, I, I don't know. This day is going to have a whole lot going in it. Some I'd prefer more than that, but whatever it is, I'm on. And that really changes things when you just, at the very first thing you did, I don't know what it is yet, but the answer is yes. Whatever you've chosen, yes, I'll be right in the video and show up. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.